This week's lesson, entitled Doctrine of Love, Part 2, was actually planned for the 4th of August, but because of my wife's illness and hospitalization, uh, I did not provide that lesson, and I intend to do that right now from my my, uh, studio in our home. So it is entitled Doctrine of Love, Part 2. But uh, actually, it's kind of a continuation because last week we talked certainly the doctrine in part, doctrine of love. Now, let's let's review some of that learned last week and then pick up with new material at point one on uh, page six. So, well, first, however, we need to use first John one nine as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Help us to recognize that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. All right, introduction. Let's begin by reviewing point or two about Christ's love. A person's love is no stronger than the character of the one who initiates the love. The character of Jesus is perfect, therefore his love is perfect. The, or perhaps better said, this perfection cannot be matched We love him as our character is strengthened from Bible doctrine resident in the soul. Jesus' love for us, however, does not in any way depend upon us. Therefore, Jesus' love depends on whom and what Christ is, and not whom and not we are. Uh, Christ has found a way for man to respond to his love, which we studied in 1 Corinthians 2.16 and 1 John 4.19. We respond to the love of Christ by taking in his mind. The more we take in the word, the more we become like him and thus love him. Doctrine must be in the soul of the believer, therefore, before we can respond to the love of Christ. We cannot love Christ unless we know him, And this can only come from, again, Bible doctrine resident in the soul, or or as we like to say, metabolized doctrine. Okay, let's take a look at the categories of love reviewed again. Love comes in five. Five such categories. Category one is a love toward God. Category two is a love toward right man or right woman. Category three is a love toward friends. Category four is a love toward all believers with a relaxed mental attitude, even if you have no positive feelings toward them whatsoever. Category five is a familial love between parents and children. So let's begin again with a review of category one love. Category one love is commanded in scripture. Category one love is commanded in both the old and New Testaments. For example, Deuteronomy 6, 5, 
10.12, Matthew 22.37. Now in the kingdom age, the age when Christ came and presented his kingdom to Israel, negative people who didn't accept accept the Messiah were said to not love God. John 5.41-43. Now if you love God, you will do what Christ tells you to do. John 6.28. 14, 15 through 17. If you love God in the kingdom age, there are a number of promises from Christ as the indwelling of not only the Spirit, but also the Son and the Father. John 7, 37 through 39, 14, 20 through 23, 17, 22 through 23, and Colossians 1, 27. And all of these scriptures we, of course, reviewed last night. And this is a review, which uh, we'll uh, soon get to new material. But at this point in time, we're just taking a look at what we have learned since we actually have been away, I guess, more than a couple of weeks. Now, God has provided subtle differences between the two New Testament words for love. See how the resurrected Lord used the two words in his discourse with the apostle Peter. And we looked at that in John 21, 15 through 17. Production in the Christian life is a product of doctrine in the right low. And that is provided by the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. This certainly includes our positive reaction to suffering. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Now, the love poured out in our hearts and mentioned again in both 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 3 uh, is a result of God's wonderful grace, which provides equality to all believers. And I think the equality, the inequality, excuse me, the equality is taught in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 and Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Now, the Holy Spirit, when energized, will teach doctrine to the human spirit so that it is academically understood. And I provided a chart there on page, I guess it's page two, entitled Soul Light. It shows how doctrine enters the left lobe, or the Holy Spirit, represented by a candle, uh, has been lighted uh, when we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and also we have received a human spirit at that point in time. And then by faith, we can faith, we can uh, transfer it over to the right low where it becomes part of our stream of consciousness and produces a lot of divine assets, ultimately resulting in our producing divine good. It's a very interesting little chart that my wife developed. Now, love of God reaches its acme, that spiritual maturity, as evidenced in Paul's attitude while imprisoned, Philippians 1, 20 through 24. The same is made clear by John in his descriptions of love. All of the loves in the next two verses are from agape, 1 John 4, 17 through 18. As a believer, you acquire category one love when you cycle doctrine in your soul. Love toward God is the basis of blessing, both for time and eternity. David, 
said and he I'm talking about King David now. King David said he would be blessed forever, for he would stay in the Word, the source of category one love. You can find that in the Shepherd's Psalm, Psalm twenty three, in verses five and six. Paul says the mystery doctrine of the church age reveals a panoply of blessings for the mature believer. Positive volition, according to the psalmist, in the, he is the source of blessing. Psalm 27, 4 and 5. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. So the exilic prophet Daniel even was certainly, and he was absolutely, he was blessed, certainly blessed, but he was certain that blessing, blessing would flow to those who love the Lord. And he mentions that in his prayer to the Lord in Daniel 9, 4. By the way, a very wonderful prayer uh, where he prayed and acknowledged that it was time for Israel to go back. But that's another story. But you can read all about that on our webpage under Daniel, where all of the lessons that I have taught in the past have been uh, provided for you. Both the lesson and also have an expanded translation of a whole book, chapters 1 through 12. So... uh I recommend it. All right, the Lord preserves the faithful and rejects the proud. Psalm thirty-one, thirty-three, Category 1 is also the basis for national blessing. Conversely, negative volition to God's word results in national destruction. Terrible, terrible. Daniel 30, verse 16, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. The Scriptures in chapter 4 of Hosea are highly specific about why they were being punished. One of them was for a lack of Bible doctrine in the souls of believers. Our military victory is part of national blessing, so according to Category 1 love, love of Christ, of course, is the ultimate weapon yielding military victory for the client nation. Joshua 23, verse 10 there is a special curse for those who do not love the Lord. Salvation is a requisite for loving God. 1 Corinthians 16.22 and 1 John 4.19 The filling of the Spirit is the first response toward God, that is to say, our act of rebound. 1 John 1, 8-10 Since the object of category 1 love is God, we can only see him through his word. First Peter 1.8 There is a promise when you love God, he is said to know you. The crown of life is provided to those who love God. Certainly noted in 1 Corinthians 8.3 and James 1 verse 12. So James promised, and I think this was just about where we were ready to begin new material. Uh, James uh, said that those who are rich in faith, they will share in the kingdom promised to those who love the Lord. So in summary, we love God when we keep his word. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind, uh, which is your reasonable service, of course, as we saw in the preceding verse in Romans. All right, now let's go for category two, love. Remember, that's the love between the right man and right woman. 
The woman from her own soul surrenders her freedom to the right man. This is soul and body response. The right man should be, not necessarily so, but should be smarter than the right woman. 1 Timothy 2, 11-14 To become one with a man, a woman surrenders much of her privacy. In response, the woman is supposed to receive agape from the man, but life is sometimes a struggle. A woman's reaction must be submission even to a bad situation. The man and the woman must learn all about the souls of one another since marriage is soul submission first and then body submission. A woman's soul, however, is just like the man's. When a woman falls in love, she changes and tries to please her man, which here I've called Bozo, since he, she has sense, she has volition, and certainly woe to the man who does not understand this, and many don't. So a woman becomes enthusiastic about her man and tries in her own way to please him. The man must cater to this enthusiasm and not squelch it. And I must admit, man is usually a fool in this regard. I guess it's not masculine to love your wife, hold her hand, kiss her in public, etc., all right, a woman who also has an old sin nature. Now, of course, I'm being sarcastic there. Of course, you can hold her hand and show, express love toward her in any case. And I recommend it. A woman also has an old sin nature, and it is here that a man must use skill to protect her. He must be artful to let her make choices, but guide the weaker vessel. Man must love the woman based on who and what he is. The male must never be a reactor. The male must love her like his own body. The male must always be a low-key performer and never aggressive physically. Never aggressive physically toward his right woman. Ephesians 5.25 makes clear a husband's love, agapao. That's a love based upon what? Who and what? The subject is not who and what the object of the love is so from your own soul men love your wives as even as christ has loved and that's agapo again the church and gave himself for it all right later god built a body for the souls of both the right man and the right woman it would seem that was done first uh as uh, many have come uh, come to that conclusion from Genesis 2, 21 through 24. And uh, also very uniquely, Jesus taught of a univer- unisex format in heaven where there's neither male nor female. Matthew 22, verses 28 through 30. So the man and the woman are to be one with one another, says Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. It was God who ordained the relationship in the Garden of Eden when he made woman out of man in order that she might be an essential completing, an essential completing associate for him. Christ said this, what God hath joined, what God hath joined, let not man put asunder. Now the Holy Spirit inspired many scriptures about the relationship of category, category two love and how it is to function. Let's look at the mechanics for the wife. Husbands, excuse me, uh, pardon me. 
Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Alright, mechanics for the husband. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Gnosis. Doctrine in the left lobe. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Alright, let's look at the mechanics for both. First Peter 3, 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be tender-hearted, be courteous, and of course that's toward one another, and by the way, others, uh, in terms of being tender-hearted. The concept of love rapport before sex is poetically communicated in the Song of Solomon, and I also have taught that entire book, and also an in, the entire book has been expanded translated so you have an expanded translation and you have a lesson by lesson by lesson by lesson it's on the internet and it's on it's actually on the uh, the title the title page the, that we have along with of course Daniel and an Old Testament overview take a look at it again I recommend it all right, violation of Category 2 provisions is very serious business because it, because it can shut off your prayer life and can even result in demon possession for those who become infatuated with sex outside of marriage. And that's just so prevalent today. So many people hooking up for whatever reason. So players are cut off, excuse me, prayers are cut off when you're out of fellowship uh, with your spouse. First Peter 3, 7. And the word there for cut off when you're praying, in other words, you and your, your spouse are out of fellowship, you're just mad about something, and you're not going to take care of it. Well, we, when you pray, it's like having a telephone conversation with God, all of a sudden someone clips the, the line. This is before they were the type phones we use today, smartphones, etc. But um, the word is ekkopto. It means to cut off from the ultimate source. Just like you snipped the line. If you had one of the landlines, you're talking to God, and all of a sudden, clip, now you're not talking to God. Why? Well, you're out of fellowship with your right woman or right man. Okay, the power, I'm sorry, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell your body, so don't degrade the Trinity with illicit sex. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 19. Category 2, love must extend only to your spouse and to no one else, says Proverbs 5, 1 through 8. The worship of idols in the various cultures of the Gentiles, such as the Canaanites with their worship of El, Zeus, Jupiter, all had their sex athletes as central characters. The same is true of the Babylonians with their worship of Ashtoreth and Ishtar, and the Ugarites with their Baal, Mot, certainly to include incestuous relationship with Aneth, and over and over again. So the point, you cannot love 
excuse me, you cannot have illicit sex outside of marriage. That's not love. And not subject yourself to possible demon control. Luke 8, 2, 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20, and 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 15 and 16. Okay, category love conclusion. All right, one, God from the beginning of his relationship with Israel has protected the divine institution of marriage. Remember the four divine institutions, volition, marriage, and nationalism. That was, of course, that was the fourth one. The family is the third, third one. Let me read, let me do the four over again. First of all, volition, choice. Secondly, marriage. Then family. Then nationalism. All right, and then we have in Scripture capital punishment for violators of those four divine institutions, particularly the marriage one. Examples, rape, homosexuality, incest, fornication, adultery, bestiality, and unchaste status are all punished. All those are punished by capital punishment because they violate the right man, right relationship. My right man, right woman relationship is violated. And so capital punishment is the answer. Our Bible doctrine is provided to transform our minds and therefore avoid evil. But in Proverbs 6, 21 through 25, there is a specific statement. That cycled doctrine, that is doctrine cycled in the soul, will protect man against the temptation of strange women. Oh, and there's so many strange women out there. And they are such a temptation to men. Aren't they men? Yes, yes. Well, get rid of that thought. Let me read you. Proverbs 6, 21, reading all the way through verse 25. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When God, when thou goest, it shall lead thee. That's doctrine. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman with the flattery of the tongue. Of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty. In thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Alright. Category 2 love is self-sustaining. And partner sustaining. And is not dependent on things or people. The love is intrinsically good. And that's point 2 in our summary. Uh, Proverbs 18.22, for example, says, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and attaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs 15.17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. So there is a time for love. Ecclesiastes 3.8, the time for love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And I recommend the doctrine of war, the doctrine of love as we're studying, and of course also the uh, the doctrine of anger. Mm. But that's another subject for several of the doctrines that are available on the internet and some on the podcast. 
Our category two love is a grace provision for the human race to enjoy. Category, excuse me, category two. Again, these are summary points of category two. And look at Proverbs eighteen twenty two, Ephesians five twenty five, Ephesians five twenty eight, all of which we have talked about and quoted earlier. All right, now let's go on. Category two, love is very often used to describe God's relationship with mankind. And you can see that in Jeremiah chapters two and three, Ezekiel chapter sixteen and twenty three, and Hosea chapter chapters one through three. So spend some time sometime. Sometimes spend some time. How's that? Checking out Jeremiah chapters two and three and Ezekiel chapter sixteen and twenty three and Hosea chapters one through three. So in these many scriptures, God is said to be making love to his bride, the church, and we are supposed to respond with obedience. Our second, second, excuse me, seventh summary point. Since often there is a failure to love the wife on the part of the husband, and since often the wife fails to obey, what is the answer? It's the use of the two power option, the filling of the spirit and Bible doctrine cycled in the soul. Romans 12, 1 and Romans 12, 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your usual service. I mean, it's what, it's what you should do. Uh, and then it says, be not conformed to this world in the next verse, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind. All right, let's, let's continue with our summary points with the case study. There is a Greek noun, apate, which means deceit or deceitfulness. It's very closely akin to apatao, the verb, to cheat, deceive, beguile. That which gives a false impression, whether by appearance, statement, or influence. So the word is used in various ways, but one of its most difficult uses can be found in 2 Timothy 2, 11-14, where it describes the nature of the woman's deception. First Timothy 2, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but a suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. But Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Kenneth Weist has the following to say with reference to these verses. You remember Kenneth? Kenneth Weist has one of the greatest translations of the New Testament according to R.B. Theme. And uh, I have a couple of books written by Kenneth Weist. And uh, excellent, excellent uh, interpreter and translator of scripture. So Paul is still dealing with the context of women in the local assembly. Uh, in 8.3.1 under Weist's quotes, the silence here has to do with maintaining quiet in the assembly and does not forbid a woman to take an active part in the works of the church in her own sphere and under the limitations imposed here in the contextual passage. The words in verse 12 prohibiting the woman to teach or dependent upon the tense of the Greek infinitive. When the Greek desires to refer only to the fact of the action denoted by the infinitive without referring to details, the aorist tense is used. 
So uh, review again those verses, 1 Timothy 2, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Okay, now let's go on with our points, our summary points. When the present infinitive is used, he is going out of his way to add details, and the student must pay particular attention to his choice of this tense. Paul therefore is saying here that I do not permit a woman to be a teacher in the sense of one with the gift of pastor teacher and its associated authority. It does not then prohibit the woman from teaching children or younger women in a church-related classroom. In other words, church-related classroom. Uh, And of course, uh, that would be one which had been established as something that is to be done by the pastor. Now, the term usurp authority over in verse 12 is rather to exercise dominion over. So in the sphere of doctrinal disputes or questions of interpretation where authority pronouncements are to be made, the woman is to keep silent. The reason for the above position, Paul says, it is found in the original order of the creation and circumstances of the fall of man. In verse 14, there are two words translated deceived. The first word is deceived, or the first word deceived is from apatao, and means to be cheated or deceived or beguiled, which which we're told Adam was not, but Eve was. So the second word deceived is ex apatao, and means to be completely or thoroughly deceived, and thus Eve, kuva, literally fell into the transgression because genema is used in the perfect tense. Completed action in the past with emphasis on the present result. So verse 15 is most difficult in interpretation. The phrase, she shall be saved, is not salvation in the ordinary sense, for First Timothy is an epistle written to believers. Paul speaks here of a continuing in the faith and love and holiness. Now this an unbeliever cannot do. And sometimes it's very difficult for a believer. Alright, the Greek word sozo has numerous meanings like made whole, delivered from drowning, made well, etc. And it is also used for positional salvation and temporal, uh, both positional and temporal salvation. So what she is delivered out from by childbearing is twofold. From the seed of the woman and the woman will only will come the Messiah who will provide salvation to all mankind. Uh, that's, I'll, I'll, not, I'll not dance on that one now, but the woman is the only one who can do that. More particularly in our context is the deliverance from the original curse. Just as man who by means of Bible doctrine finds deliverance from his curse, uh, so also uh, does the man and the woman and children, etc. All right, now let's let's kind of hit a summary of the summary points, if you will. All right, it's to the advantage of the woman not to teach a man. In First Timothy two twelve, the a woman is from the anarthris of Gune, and calls attention to the quality of the woman. The high quality of the woman is destroyed when she exercises authority over the man. 
Femininity is one of God's great blessings to the world. The responsiveness of the woman is the key to civilization and happiness for both man and woman. A woman's response to the authority of her man must be from doctrine resident in her soul. In creation, God created the authority of man over the woman. Even in the perfect environment of the garden, there was authority. And even after the woman and her fall, there is still the establishment principle of man's authority over the woman in marriage. So before the fall, after the fall, it's an establishment principle. Paul said, Again, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Peter said, in 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Isn't that interesting? By the way she operated, by what she does, uh, how she relates to the man. He's going to be a believer because of that. Not necessarily because you... Sit him down and say, okay, you gotta believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. By the method of living, better said, translated conversation of the wives. So the woman's sin was one of ignorance, but nevertheless she chose, so guilty she was. Both Adam and Eve, both Adam and Eve lost their perfect fellowship with God and therefore both receive spiritual death and the process of physical death. It all began. In other words, we're particularly me, for example, at the ripe old age of 85, uh, the process of death is on its way. The body's kind of deteriorating. But we'll not go there. Don't want to go there. Let's go on. All right, Satan deceived the woman because of her arrogance. She was egocentric. Man rejected the authority of God and followed her in the fall because he preferred Eve over God. This from a man who had walked and talked with God in the garden. Now then, let's start, at least start, Category 3, Love. Cat 3, Love, you will recall, is a love of friends. I think the best way to teach Cat 3 love is by way of a case study of two friends, David and Jonathan. Well, first of all, David's got to become a member of the the um, royal uh, order because he's going to be a hero. David meets Goliath. So the best way to begin to review the story of David and Goliath for without David's heroism, there would have been no Cat 3 love between David and Jonathan for us to study. So let's see what we can do. Alrighty already. Let's look at Psalm 23. Wonderful Psalm. One I quote oh so many times when I'm trying to go to sleep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, for I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Meaning, I shall continue studying the word, taking in the word. Old Saul's outrage and David's uh, relationship to Saul, uh, faith, rest, application, and opposition from his brothers are described in First Samuel seventeen twenty-one through thirty. So it kind of kind of takes an overview picture for us to begin with. First Samuel seventeen twenty-one through thirty. In other words, Saul's outrage, uh, so forth, faith, David's faith, rest, application, and then the opposition from his brothers. So here we go. First Samuel seventeen twenty one, reading all the way through verse 30, but we'll skip down from 24 to 28. So Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. In other words, a military battle. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. He actually was taking some some uh, goodies, if you will, to his commanding officers for his dad's request. So he left being a shepherd and made his way to the battlefield. And as he was talking with them, his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, major city in the land of the Philistine, Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now let's see what old Dave does. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, David was telling them, you know, this is something. Look at that big dude. I bet I could whack him good, you know. Why are we all afraid of him? Okay. He burned with anger at him, that is his brother. What are you doing here, you little fellow? Actually, he wasn't a little fellow, he was a big guy, big and strong. If you don't believe that, go to Florence, Italy, which my wife and I have done, and look at that big statue of him with his slingshot in his hand. Why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave these few sheep in the desert? Or leave those few sheep? In the desert. I know how conceited you are. And how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And poor David said. Now what have I done? Can I even speak? In other words. Can I even talk about this situation? He then turned away to someone else. And brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. David slays what he rightfully considers an infidel. Unbeliever and received from Saul the earlier promised reward for the man who slays the giant. Notice Second Samuel seventeen twenty-five, reading through verse twenty-seven. Now the Israelites had been saying, "Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel." 
The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. In other words, he gets all these things listed above. So the victory of David over Goliath brought him more permanently into the court of Saul, for he had been promised the hand of the king's daughter and other things, by the way. There he became the husband of Michael, and he also develops a strong bond with Prince Jonathan, son of Saul. The story of their friendship and loyalty to each other represents a masterpiece of biblical literature. The bond which united Jonathan to David was neither mere admiration for his heroic courage and extraordinary skill in using the sling, nor more sympathy with him, mere sympathy with him in his fervent love of country and common hatred of the uncircumcised Philistines, but was mainly their common love for the Lord God of Israel. The unity of spirit won Jonathan over to David. The two made a covenant of friendship and exchanged gifts in token of that friendship. 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him. Loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. All right, let me quickly, uh, we're going to close here, but I want to just kind of review very quickly the situation because it's so often misinterpreted, mistaught. Uh, the misteaching involves those who say David was a little man, you know, he was a little boy. And that's mainly because, uh, primarily because, the scripture indicates that when he received the helmet of Saul, it fell about his, about, about him, his head. He was, just couldn't, couldn't wear it. So he gave it back to the king. Now you have to remember, Saul was a head taller than anyone else in the kingdom. So that's why this great man of God who was strong, he'd already been through military, uh, compulsory military service. He had already excelled in basic training and then in infantry training and then in slingshot uh, training, etc. Uh, he was just a great warrior and he killed animals. He'd killed uh, lions and tigers and was a hero when he was went to the battle uh, and killed Goliath. Uh, and we know this uh, because of the fact that he was called to be a member of the court. If you look at that call, which is in the scripture, they said of him, he is a great musician, he is a great songwriter, and he is a hero, a battlefield, a battlefield proven hero. And that's this big guy. 
And if you go to Florence again and look at the statue, you'll see a huge man. But what's in his right hand? Uh, the slingshot. So it wasn't a little boy with the slingshot. It was a wonderfully structured man who uh, who was uh, uh, portrayed by Michelangelo. Or as they say over there, Michelangelo. And I remember when we looked at it, I told the Bible study to the interpreter uh, about David being a, not a little boy, but a hero. And I remember his statement was uh, basically saying, you know, that made sense. But uh, he said, Michelangelo, he knew the Bible too. And I said, yes, Michelangelo, uh, he did uh, know the Bible also. So, uh, it was, it's very interesting. So that particular man, of course, had been, he had excelled and therefore he was in the, the court of Saul playing his harp. And Saul, of course, became jealous of him because he became a great warrior who led Israel, Israel's finest against various, uh, uh, enemies. But enough said, it's time to shut her down. So let's, let's shut her down right now and tell anyone who's out there who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. I want you to know that Christ had you personally in mind when he went to the cross and that he wants you right now, wherever you are, whatever you might be doing, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So you can do that right now, even if you are without hope and without Christ. Just tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the word, you will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Do that right now. And then I'll close our Bible study with a benediction. Father, we are grateful to be able to come in this great country of ours and study the Bible. Now certainly I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented Make it real in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.